TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. All right, welcome into WEI Late Night. I'm Mark Dundara with you until midnight after a Red Sox victory. The Sox heating up. Feeling good about the team now. Feeling good. See, this is what. You know, I'm not going to start the show off on a negative note after a big win here. The Red Sox have won six of eight. They've won three straight. They look a lot better. But this is what I was talking about back in April. Okay, especially with the division, the way that it, it is. You know, with some good teams, some deep teams. I said it around the time of the Masters because I made a reference to the Masters. You, you can't win the tournament on Thursday or Friday, but you can lose it. And unfortunately, in terms of the American League East, the Red Sox lost the tournament on Thursday or Friday. So they're not going to win the American League East. But they are battling back, and they're looking like the team we thought they would look like. Um, You know, they still have four teams in front of them for the wild card, four and a half back. So, you know, the door is still open. It's only May, whatever it is, 20th. So I, you know, I'm not shutting. The, I'm not completely ruling out the fact they could make the playoffs. It's just too bad that they let it get away from them so bad in April and early May. You know, all the way into whatever that series with the White Sox what was it May fifth, May eighth. So give them credit for bouncing back. You know, six of eight, they look good. Trevor Story, and I'm going to say this about Trevor Story real quick. Okay. Now, I like the signing. I'm a high and bloom guy. But give credit to Trevor Story. Okay, we're not going to throw a parade for the guy, but give him some credit. A lot of people got on him. He struggled out of the gate. He was dealing with some personal stuff, some things going on. There were some illnesses, the baby. I mean, a lot of things going on. It ends up at a point where he's getting booed at Fenway Park. Just got here. You know, he's talking about with his wife and they're looking forward to coming to Boston and experiencing Fenway Park and the passion of the fans. And then he's getting booed a month and a half, not even into his tenure with the Red Sox. And then what happens? Now, again, it's May 20th. But in the last two nights, he has 11 RBIs, four home runs, six runs scored in the last two nights. Okay, so what that says to me, again, you know, We'll see how it progresses and continues to go. But what that says to me is that Trevor Story is a guy that can handle Boston. He comes in. He struggles. They boo him. He feels the heat. People are talking about it. 
people get angry. You're really going to let Xander Bogarts go. I don't want to see Xander Bogarts go no matter how Trevor Story plays, but that was a part of the narrative, and Trevor Story has now turned it around and turned it on to the point where he had three home runs last night and tonight had the decisive hit in the form of a third inning. When was that? A third inning grand slam? Off of the guy who, by the way, won the won the Cy Young last year. Now this year hasn't looked nearly as good. Robbie Ray, not a Cy Young guy this year. Four and four with a four something ERA. No sir. Four and three coming into the night with a four six two ERA. Not not a Cy Young guy. But it doesn't diminish the fact that once again Story came up big. So give Trevor Story from some credit for turning it around. And making a huge impact on this team during a time where they really needed it. You know, the season was on the verge of sort of getting away from them. And Trevor Story stepped up. And he made some plays. Big time. Won them two games, essentially. So let's give Story some credit for that. Good win for the Red Sox tonight. Once again, the bullpen was money. And they're rolling. I mean, they're playing well. And you know the other thing they're doing? And we talked about this. We talked about this as early as the first game of the season. They are scoring, not just in the first inning, not just in the third inning, not just once. They are adding to their run total late in the game. You know, that helps everybody out. That helps out the pitching. That helps out Alex Cora. That helps. So while everybody wanted to put some of the early season struggles on the pitching staff, on the bullpen, this and that, because the Red Sox might have put up a crooked number in the first inning in New York, like two, and didn't score again all night, and they put it, you know, a loss on the pitchers because of that, I wasn't subscribing to that whatsoever. Because this lineup, coming into the year, and right now still, is supposed to be ultimately the strength of this team. And now they're acting like it. They're scoring early. They're scoring late. They're tacking on. They're ti- they're getting timely hits. Big spots. You know, they're hitting home runs and not you know, not just hitting home runs, hitting home runs with guys on base. You know, big hits with guys on base, men in scoring position. That's what you want to see. Give them credit for that. You know, again, long way to go. You got a lot of, I mean, you're only four and a half back for the second wild card spot, but you've got four teams in front of you. So that's not ideal. You know, that's a lot of teams and a lot of people in your way. Um, but again, the Mariners. You know, it's not like there's some juggernaut. There's 17 and 23. But you take the wins where you can get it. And six of eight, you can't argue with. So give the Red Sox some credit. And I enjoy seeing Trevor Story play this way. This is what the team was supposed to be. This is what the offense was supposed to be. You got Franchi Cordero, who I basically gave up on. Fair or foul. He's coming in. He's figured it out a little bit. Makes an impact. I basically gave up on that guy. And the pitching is holding it down. The bullpen came in, 
And once again, solid. So I can't really, you know, the only thing I'm going to complain about right now is the start. Because we've seen it in the past. But, you know, I'm telling you, we haven't seen it pay dividends yet. But I am a believer in high and bloom. I am. I admit it. It's not perfect. You know, there are things that he could do. I, I didn't agree with, you know, some of the moves he made, even though Jackie Bradley Jr. did hit a big three-run homer tonight over the monster of all places. I didn't agree with bringing J- Br- JBJ back. I didn't agree with Travis Shaw. I didn't agree with Rich Hill, who got his tits lit last night. I didn't agree with those moves. Okay, I didn't really care for that type of um, strategy being put into play. I wanted the Red Sox to maybe dip into the farm and get a guy that could come up and create a spark and produce on the field and, you know, give the team some life and energy and all those different things that a young guy with hype and talent and production can give you. So I didn't agree with that. But I certainly agree with Trevor's story. Let's see what happens. The team's not out of it. You know, it's early. It's still only May. And they're playing well. They've turned it around. Scary moment here in this game where um, Xander Bogarts and Alex Verdugo ran into each other. Tough play. Uh, Bogarts is going hard for the ball. Verdugo, technically, he has the priority. I don't know if Verdugo ever called off Bogarts. I know he tried, you know, he didn't want a head-to-head collision. He went low. That's tough. Sort of undercut Bogarts. Bogarts appears to be okay. Alex Cora calling it um, day-to-day amongst other comments uh, during his post-game press conference, which we have for you. Let's hear from Red Sox manager Alex Cora after the 7-3 win over the Mariners. Lower back discomfort on the left side, so he'll be day-to-day. Um, we'll see how he feels tomorrow, and we'll go from there. Anybody, yeah, I mean... You know, it's two guys trying to make a baseball play, so you know we almost had it in right field too. So it's part of the game. I mean, you're trying to make plays, so there's nothing you can do. I mean, 35,000 people there, so it's, it's not that easy, you know. And and here lately with the win, you know, the, the, it seems like he's playing different the last few years with. I know Sam is going to hate me, but with the buildings and all that stuff that is going on, it's a little bit different out there. You know, and it just, it's a baseball play, you know, it happens. Good at bats, good at bats. Before him, you know, we were patient, we took our walks, and then he got a good pitch to hit, and, and he, he didn't miss it. Uh, he put some good swings today. Uh, he's feeling good. Um, he's a guy that he's faced a lot in the NOS, you know, I saw. One put ten walks or something like that. They put it on the board. I was like, oh, that's that's good. You know, we had I think two guys that have faced him a lot, Kika and, and and Trevor, and they did an outstanding job. The team just kind of appreciate it. I mean, RBIs are opportunities, right, from his teammates. So you know, we got the line moving, and he's doing his job. You know, uh, he's a guy that he he hits. You know, uh, he's a like I said yesterday, very dynamic, a good athlete, and uh, you know I know he got off to a rough start, you know, but uh, like I told TC this morning or 
doing the Nesson thing. You know, I, I played with the second baseman that he struggled in 2007, and he helped us to win a World Series. So nobody has to talk about that, right? So, uh, you know, they always bring other names. But, uh, you know, he, he'll keep working. He'll keep getting better. And I'm glad that he's uh, doing what he's doing right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said before, uh, not all the time it's going to be them, you know, and uh, the other guys have to contribute, and they're still getting better. They're still working. They're still struggling, some of them, right? But uh, when when the line starts starts moving it's more bats for the for the big boys and that's what we're trying to accomplish today christian put some good at bats uh obviously frenchy coming off the bench got the hit jackie got the homer and uh we we do believe we 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 will hit you know we're gonna score runs and uh you know um, you know this team is a complete team right uh we've been pitching well we're playing good defense and you know the the one thing that nobody thought it was gonna happen was coming out of the gates the way we did although you know I think the first inning was great of the season, right? But uh, we we struggled and we we just kept working and uh, it feels good right now. But uh, like they said and when they talk in the meetings, we got to keep working. We got to keep getting better, going out there and, and hitting off the machines, you know, fastball or sliders and all that stuff. Just keep building your swing and until you feel great. <laughs> yeah, I mean is. It's good, you know. Um, he's very aggressive. The fact that he had a line drive is, is, is always good. And we talked about it uh, earlier. Uh, he's, he's finding it a little bit, you know, his timing. The fact that he caught up with the fastball right away. And then the walk, he saw the ball well. Hit the ball to right field after that. So, uh, um, you know, um, he, he, I don't want to say he doesn't care, you know. Like, he, he doesn't pay attention to the whole thing, you know. Like, he, he knows where he's at. And uh, it's not the first time that uh, has happened in his career, but uh, he, he's he's very strong mentally. He understands that he's 162. Although you know last year was the first time he played a full season, you know, playing every day. But uh, I do believe he learned a lot last year, and uh, he's learning a lot this year too about his swing and what he needs to do right now to get going. And he's doing a good job with it. Yeah, that was really good, and we push him. Um, you know, talking to Brad and, and the group, uh, we, I mean, four innings were good for us, but he was efficient the way he he, he always is. Um, you know, fastball command was off a little bit today. Mechanics were off, but he gave us you know uh, four and two thirds, uh, one cutter that stayed middle middle, and the kid didn't miss it. But overall, you know, he gave us enough and and. You know, um, there's certain series that the lefties, they, they don't come into play, right, the, the, the three of them. But today, all of them, the, the three of them, they did an amazing job. And, and um, Triver threw the ball well with just two bloop singles. But the lefties, that, that's something that with certain teams we, we have to exploit, you know. We have to, to, to use them, and uh, they did an amazing job. All right, that was Alex Cora after the Red Sox 7-3 win over the Seattle Mariners at Fenway. Sox winners of six of their last eight games. Uh, still 12 or so back in the division, but right there, four and a half back in the wild card as the Red Sox try to get the ship righted after a tough start to the season. But Trevor's story, this is a big, you know, this is a big story. No pun intended. It's a big deal. Um, geez. Um, 
you know, he's he's not just hitting, you know, the cover off the ball. He's hitting any pitch that these guys are throwing. He's hitting on fastballs where his average against fastballs was not good. Hit a home run on a fastball last night. He's hitting out change-ups. I think tonight the Grand Slam came on a slider. So this guy has really found his groove. Um, and they're going to need that going forward if they want to keep this going. You know, especially with the fact that Xander Bogarts is now day-to-day. We don't know if he's going to miss tomorrow's game. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he was held out just to, you know, be cautious. But, yeah. I mean, this is what I thought the team would look like from the start of the season. You know, they have the tendency to do this under Alex Cora. They have the tendency to do some really good things, but this is another thing that they've done in the past. I think it was 2019 where they they dug such a big hole off of that road trip that started the season, they never could come out of it. You know, similar type situation this year where they dug such a big hole in the AL East you know, now you combine the fact with all the quality opponents that live in that division, it's hard. 617-779-7937 if you want to talk about the Red Sox and their win tonight. Um, yeah, I mean, Franchi Cordero came in, he contributed. I'm not no, I, I'm getting excited, but it's good to see him show up. That's the type of player I've been waiting for, you know? Rather see Franchi Cordero come in and do something than, you know, Travis Shaw. Nothing against Travis Shaw, ding dong. Um, But, you know, they're they're trending in the right direction. Tanner Houck in the bullpen, sort of finding a role for himself. Last night he was talking about how he was tinkering with his slider, found a little something-something with the slider. You know, I don't know how long that's going to last, but it worked out, you know, initially. We'll see if he can keep that going. Obviously, Trevor Story is going to cool off, but hopefully he finds his rhythm. Hopefully he finds a home here and he can continue to produce at a level that is representative of the type of player that he has been in Colorado for his entire career. Because that's all he really is being asked to do. He's not being asked to put the team on his back and, you know, carry them to win after win after win. That's not, that's nice. I'll take, I'll take that. But that's not what he's asked to do. You know, and he's starting to kind of transform himself into a bit of a leader. You know, you like what you hear what he had to say post-game with uh, Joe and Will. Sounds the part, looks the part, now acting the part. I'll take that. It's still a big hill to climb. But there's no reason that this team, based on what we know about them and what they did last year, can't fight and scrap and end up, you know, in a situation where they could get in the playing game and see what happens. It's a long way off. It's not worth dissecting that right now. But, you know, it's good to see them bounce back and to look like the team that they should look like. And on top of that, it's nice to see Trevor Story look like the guy that Haim Bloom signed. Because that is his first really big, noteworthy, high-priced, high-profile signing as the uh, the president of the Red Sox. So, GM of the Red Sox. So, I'm happy to see that working out right now. And what he did the last two nights was obviously explosive. 
Can he keep it going? You know, to the point where the Red Sox continue to win games? We'll see. Got to find a way. All right, when we get back, okay, I am going to make a point as we shift to the Celtics with Game 3 looming about hashtag heat culture. And I haven't heard anybody else in America make this point. And it's a very important point that you're going to want to hear about what the Miami Heat do and the heat culture. This is WEI Late Night. I'm Mark Dondero. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. All right, welcome back to WEI Late Night. I'm Mark Dondero with you until 12 midnight. At which point it will be game day for game three between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. And I love what we're going to get in Boston with that series coming to town. And the Celtics last night taking it to Miami in the form of a 127-103 win. I mean, I was disappointed they didn't get it to 30. But I loved every, I mean, that was a party last night down in South Beach. And I loved every second of that game. Okay, now I got a lot to say about this series and about that game and about game three, but we're going to start with this, okay? Because I don't want it to come off like I'm disrespecting Jimmy Butler. I don't want to. He's a good player, and then in the playoffs, he's a very good to great player. He's a bona fide star in the league. And I'm going to get to more of what he is in a minute. But the first thing I want to say, and the first thing I want to talk about, is hashtag heat culture. Okay? Because coming into this series, I picked the Celtics to win. Why? Not just because of what they accomplished in the first round, you know, sweeping away Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, whatever. Not just because they showed the ultimate championship medal in the second round, And took it to the defending champs and the best player in the world, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Coming back to win that series in the process. No, because I looked at this matchup in a vacuum. And I looked at the Miami Heat's roster. And I saw two 
undrafted players starting. Now, I get that the Miami Heat have built a brand. It's their hashtag. Hashtag Heat Culture. But do you know what that is in reality? And I haven't heard anybody else identify it this way, so I'll do it for them. What that is, is an explanation. It's a reason that the Heat play well. And what it means is we have this culture in place because we don't have the top talent. It's something that they created to give themselves, I don't know, I guess some sort of psychological advantage. What they're saying with hashtag heat culture, we've got this culture, the heat. What they're saying is, well, we don't have the best players because this was established after LeBron James left. In the post-LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Miami Heat era. This is where this heat culture thing came from. We established that we don't have the best player anymore. So we have to figure out some way to overcome that, to get around that, to replace what he gave you, what he gave them. So they did it by creating this hashtag heat culture and give them credit. It's effective. I'm not saying it's bogus. It's real. They went out and identified players that fit the type of of basketball team and brand of basketball that they're trying to play. And obviously the face of it from an on-court perspective is Jimmy Butler. Credit to them. He was on the Philadelphia 76ers. The Sixers thought they could do big things with him and Embiid and Simmons. They let him get away. The Heat took advantage, and they made him the face of their brand, of their hashtag, Heat culture. He is their culture. But the reason they have to do that is because they don't have the players that some of the other teams around the league have. They don't have the talent that some of the other teams around the league have. Do you know what heat culture is in reality? It's basketball's version of Moneyball. That's what it is. We don't have the stars. We can't get the stars or we just don't have them right now. So we're going to create this culture that allows us to win games via a system that we believe in and that we can make effective. Give them credit. It works. Now, I don't happen to believe that it could take you to a championship, see the Oakland A's. I think you need what the Celtics have, a culture and the superstars and the talent. The Heat have the culture. They have a really good player who at times can be superstar-ish in the playoffs. But they don't have what the Celtics have. They don't have the high-end talent the Celtics have. And I think the Heat culture is basketball's form of money ball. We're going to get the type of player that fits what we do because we can't get the best players, so we're going to get the type of player that fits our brand, our culture, and will play the way we want to play, and that will be a guy who we believe will thrive here. Look at the type of guys they bring in. They're all the same players with the same mentality. A mentality, by the way, I like. But I just don't think you can win on a a mentality alone. You know, Jimmy Butler, the face of it. Kyle Lowry, dog. P.J. Tucker, 
Dog. Rough Rider. All these guys, they bring the same type of guy. Bam out of bio. Defense, you know, big time defensive talent. Really strong player. Not the best player, but a heady guy. You know, he can be the type of player that the Heat want to have on their team. Hashtag Heat culture is just money ball. Money ball for basketball. It's just a tougher, you know, a tough guy version of money ball. That's what hashtag Heat culture is. Because they, like the Oakland A's, aren't able to, at least right now, I know in the past they've gotten the guys, but right now they're trying to win with limited talent. That's what they're trying to do. When the Patriots were winning championships, they had something similar to Heat culture. It was called the Patriot Way. But you know the difference between Heat culture and the Patriot Way? The Patriots didn't come up with the Patriot Way. Everybody else around the league came up with that. Because why? They noticed what the Patriots were doing. They noticed the way they operated, and they dubbed them or dubbed their scenario that they had created the Patriot way, and the Patriots sort of just ran with it. Bill Belichick didn't come up with the Patriot way. Teddy Bruschi didn't coin that term. They might have accepted it once it got out there, but it was other people that looked from the outside at what the Patriots were doing, looked at the culture they created, and came up with that term. It was never their hashtag, not that there were hashtags back then. The Heat had to come up with this Heat culture thing all by themselves because they needed something to help get them up and to create something that could give them the edge that they don't have from their players and talent on the court. We've overrated this entire team. The NBA has overrated this entire team. And again, give them credit. The heat culture thing and the culture that they've created there under Pat Riley and Spo is effective. It works. It's real. Give them credit. I'm not, I'm not saying it's stupid. What are you doing? I'm not saying that. Give them credit. It works. I just think it only works, though, to an extent. Everybody else wants to act like they can, you know, carry them to the championship via heat culture hashtags. Uh Uh-uh. Not when you have the Boston Celtics standing in your way. That's my take. Hashtag heat culture is basketball's version of Moneyball. Because they don't have the highest end talent, and they haven't for the last few years. Not since LeBron James left. Jimmy Butler is a very good player. And in the playoffs, he shines. I'm going to say two things about Jimmy Butler. He's never won a ring, which by NBA standards, that's where it begins and ends in terms of superstar type players. I mean, all-time greats. Now, you don't have to have a ring to be an all-time great, but, you know, it's noteworthy if you do. He doesn't have it. He's never even come close to the MVP award. One year, he was T10th. Not an MVP type guy. Never has he made a first-team All-NBA. Never has he made a second-team All-NBA. So what I hope Ime Udoka did after game one was remind the Celtics that Jimmy Butler, despite the fact that he is a very good player and produces very well in the playoffs, isn't some all-time great that they're dealing with. Needs to be respected. 
but let's not, you know, lose perspective here. Tyler Hero, who likes to get hyped up. A lot of people like to pump his tires. You know who he is? He's Jamal Crawford. Okay? That's who he is. So sit your ass down and quiet down about Tyler Hero. He's a good player. He's a good scorer. He's Jamal Crawford. That's it. I mean, let's see if he can become Jamal Crawford over the course of the a long career like Crawford had. Right now, that's what he is. He's not some star. You know, maybe he'll ascend to more than that. I don't know. He is not that right now. He is the sixth man of the year, Jamal Crawford. That's what Tyler Hero is now. Bam Adebayo is a good player. He does not want to shoot, though, in this series so far. And I think with Robert Williams in the mix now, that's a different situation for a guy like Bam Adebayo. And don't forget, game two was the first time this heat culture Miami Miami Heat team got a chance to see Al Horford on the Celtics. Different animal with Al Horford out there. So I've heard enough about the heat culture. Again, I give them credit. It works for them. It's effective. It is. But it only takes you so far. That's my thought on heat culture. Because what happened in game one isn't going to happen again. A 39-14 run or whatever it was by the Heat in that third quarter, that's not going to happen again. The way the Celtics were playing in that game, you know, wasn't great, but they had control at halftime. They stayed in it despite the fact that the Heat went on the ridiculous run. And for a minute there, you know, there was one sequence at the end of game one where the Celtics had cut it to whatever it was. I think it was around 12, maybe 10. I think it was 10. It was 10. The Heat then came out after the timeout and hit three threes in the span of four possessions. Give them credit. Had the Celtics cut that game to six, there was about six minutes left, five, six minutes left. Anything could have happened. But the Heat extended the lead once again. Give them credit. But that's really all I'll give them credit for. Because other than that little stretch there in that third quarter, Boston has dominated this series. Because the Celtics have the better team. The Celtics have the better players. 617-779-7937 is the phone number if you want to talk about this. I expect it to continue in game three. Um, You know, we'll get into that. I can't wait for this. I can't wait to see what the Garden is like on Saturday night after that win. I mean, that was, you sent a message with that win. You didn't didn't just come back out and, you know, eke one out in Miami and, and, you know, steal home court. No, no, no. That was a message. And the Heat are going to get another loud message in game three. This is WEI Late Night. I'm Mark Dundero. 
The Greg Hill Show, weekdays 6 to 10. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending now on WEEI and WEEI.com. The Red Sox beat the Seattle Mariners tonight 7-3 at Fenway. They managed to knock out two home runs in tonight's game. Trevor Story had a grand slam in the third, while Jackie Bradley Jr. hit a three-run shot over the monster in the eighth. That's six of eight wins for the Sox. The Celtics, after dominating game two in their win over the Heat, will be in Boston tomorrow night to take on Miami in game three. The series tied up one game apiece with tip-off set for 8.30 p.m. And out in the Western Conference Finals, the Golden State Warriors, who were down by as many as 14 have stormed back. They are now up 102 to 95 over Dallas with six and change to go in the fourth there. Golden State with a 1-0 series lead in that one. And in the NHL, the Carolina Hurricanes down the New York Rangers 2-0. The Hurricanes, once again, getting it done at home. They take a 2-0 series lead in that series. That's what's trending on WEI and WEI.com. A healthy Celtics team is better than a healthy Miami team. And, and you can see that tonight, even with, obviously, Marcus Smart had a huge game, one rebound away from a triple-double, but even Horford, you know, he was perfect from the field, but just his positioning, his rebounding, being able to switch out on guards. When they have a full assemble of players, I think Boston's a better team. All right, back here on WEI Late Night. I'm Mark Dondero with you until midnight. That was Matt Barnes on ESPN Sports Center, one of those ESPN shows, and he is absolutely right. Look, I get it. The Heat, it's a sexy kind of scenario. You know, they got their tough, and it's Miami and South Beach and, you know, whatever. They aren't as good as the Celtics. Wake up. Wake up. Crying out loud. P.J. Tucker. Earlier in this series, game one, okay, Mark Jackson goes, who's call, obviously he's calling the game with uh, Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy. Mark Jackson goes, the one guy that could possibly have a chance at guarding Jason Tatum <laughs> is P.J. Tucker. That's what the lead analyst said, a guy who played in the league. That, you know, I feel like that's going to be a problem. Because P.J. Tucker is 37 years old, he's almost 250 pounds, and he's three inches shorter than Jason Tatum. So I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't love that matchup. If I'm, I know he's a tough dude, and he's going to compete, but I don't love the matchup. The Heat aren't as good. <laughs> and to be quite honest with you, again, I don't know anything about being an NBA head coach. Ime Udoka knows a hell of a lot about it because he's excellent. But if I'm Ime Udoka, I make it into an insult that anybody, including the Miami Heat, think that they can waltz out there with two guys who are undrafted and beat the Boston Celtics. That would be insulting. The thought of that would be insulting to me. If Ami Mayudoka. Insulting. I do not want to hear that because that's not how you win in the NBA playoffs. The NBA of, of all leagues is most predicated on just straight up talent. And the Heat, again, give them credit. They find guys that fit what they want to do. Credit to them. But 
it's not it's not good enough to to be to, you know to win a title especially when you have teams like the Celtics and or the Golden State Warriors out there it's just not going to happen There was a conversation that was had uh, earlier tonight out in San Francisco between Shaquille O'Neal and um, and Charles Barkley, and I apologize, we don't have the sound, but um, basically what they were doing was they were arguing, you know, basically how much of an impact Marcus Smart made upon his return in Game 2. Shaq's point was that just because he was the defensive player of the year, a guy like Jimmy Butler isn't affected by that, and he can score on anybody he wants. Doesn't matter what type of player you are. Defensively, Jimmy Butler can still score. And Shaq's point was the Kembe Mutombo in 2000-2001 was the defensive player of the year, and, and Shaq dominated him in that finals matchup. Okay. Here's the difference between that and this. Shaq, despite the fact, because, you know, the, the Kembe used to do the finger wag, and he probably had a bunch of blocks. Shaq, despite the fact that the Kimbe Matumbo had probably a great statistical year in 2000-2001. I'm not going to go back and look it up. He won Defensive Player of the Year. He probably had a great year. Despite that fact, Shaq, who had, you know, that was at the peak of his powers, he could physically dominate anybody in the NBA. So in that series with all the help and all the talent around him, he physically dominated the Kimbe Matumbo. Okay. Jimmy Butler, he can't physically dominate Marcus Smart. He's taller. He has the edge. He's a better player overall, but he can't just physically dominate Marcus Smart the way Shaq could physically dominate anybody, especially Dikembe Mutombo. So, yes, Shaq is wrong. Charles Barkley is right. Marcus Smart and his ability to defend – absolutely had an impact on Jimmy Butler and his ineffectiveness, if you want to call it that, in game two. I know he still had statistically a good game. It's still, you know, that was a thing that Jimmy Butler had to deal with. So don't try to make it out to me that, you know, not having the defensive player of the year out there didn't matter. I mean, that mattered. 617-779-7937 is the phone number. That mattered. Smart and Horford made a huge... And not just that. You don't think... Those are the two... Those guys are the two most veteran guys the Celtics have. You don't think those two guys specifically couldn't have played an integral role in settling everybody down during that disastrous third quarter in game one? Those two guys specifically, they would have been huge for the Celtics in that specific spot. That was a huge thing that they missed that game. The Celtics were still right there. You know, they had the halftime lead. They were there to, you know, have a chance of winning it. But it got away from them. The third quarter was a disaster. What are you going to do? And then they go out and they respond the way they've responded. I don't know what was – I mean – as much of a disaster as the third quarter was the other night, I think game five in Milwaukee was a bigger disaster. It wasn't in Milwaukee. It was in Boston. I think that was a bigger disaster. Because when you lost that game, you went down 3-2. You 
you were at home. You had to go back to Milwaukee. I mean, you had the 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. That was a worse uh, scenario than what happened the other night. Easily. So I'm not ready to... uh, I mean, you knew this team was going to respond. They've proven that since March. They're elite defensively, in part because they have two defensive, uh, all whatever you want to call it, all the team defense. I don't even know how to say it. Team, all defensive team guys. That's what it is. That's what I'm going for. Marcus Smart obviously made the first team. Rob Williams made the second team. Only other team to do that were the Bucks, who the Celtics just disposed of. Giannis made first team. Drew Holiday made second team. Bam Adebayo made the second team all defense for the Heat. That's what's going on. So if you think that, I mean, I just, when you really look at it, I, I just don't know where any other team can come. I, I mean, any person. I don't know where you can come off picking the Heat. I'm not saying you have to completely dismiss their chance at competing in this series. But how can you, in your right mind, pick them to win? You know, these culture-type teams, they do some nice things. The 2002 Oakland A's won 20 straight games or whatever it was. It was an MLB record at the time. It might still stand. But (laughs) winning a championship, that's a different animal. The Heat have a strong culture. They can do some good things. And that culture, by the way, is portable. You can take it on the road. It wins in the playoffs. It's really good. It was smart of them. It was smart. Pat, Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra, really smart basketball guys. Basketball minds. But it's just not good enough to beat this, especially when you look at what this team has become, what the Celtics have become since January 6th or whatever it was. Elite defensively, know how to close out games. Their best player has become their leader. Their best player can take over the game. Their best player just went toe-to-toe, head-to-head with the best player in the world last series and, da- and you know, dismissed them. But we're going to come in and we're going to pick the Heat, <laughs> who are starting... Two undrafted free agents, and they're relying on PJ, 37-year-old P.J. Tucker to shut down Jason Tatum, one of the best players in the entire NBA and one of the most creative offensive players in the entire league. I have the Celtics winning game three. I have the Heat winning game four. I have the Celtics winning games five and six, and I have the Celtics in six games. That's how I have this series playing out. It'll be rocking at TD Garden Saturday night. I expect Robert Kraft to be there front row with whomever. It's going to be a great scene. And I think the Celtics are going to go out and they're going to take a lead in the series, something they did not have against the Milwaukee Bucks until 4-3. I think the Celtics win game three. I think Tatum comes back. He didn't even play that well in game two. It was a good game. You know, might have been a very good game. It wasn't this masterpiece. I think Tatum's going to be better in game three. 
it's a fun damn team to watch. I'm telling you, man. It's a fun team to watch. It's a fun team to follow. And I think there's a lot more left. And if I'm look, you know, I'm watching the end of this Golden State Dallas game. Golden State now up nine with 36 to go. They're going to go up 2-0. I understand Dallas was down 2-0 last series, but this is Golden State. If it ends up Celtics Golden State in the finals, I mean, that's a basketball orgasm. That is going to be such a good matchup. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's going to be such a fun matchup. I think those teams played good games back yesteryear before the Celtics had arrived. When the Heat, when the Warriors were at the, at the height of their powers. Now both teams would sort of be at their best, and that would just be awesome. But again, not there yet. Can't talk about it. It's a tied series. I do have some respect for the Heat. Like I said, I think they're going to win a game in Boston and tie the series and get back home court advantage. But I still think the Celtics win in six. It's a fun team to watch, and it reminds me of when the Patriots were at their best and how you looked forward to those games every Sunday and in the playoffs, obviously. That's what it reminds me of. Speaking of the Patriots, you know, I wanted to... um, Hey, Ethan, do we have any Greg Bedard sound from NBC Sports Boston? I don't know if you want to just look at that real quick. If not, it's no big deal because I can summarize it pretty succinctly. But... um. You know, there's been a lot of chatter recently about the coaching staff, obviously. You know, some of the coaches have spoken recently. They met with the media, blah, blah, blah. And understandably, understandably, there is some indecision. And a lot of people have reservations over the prospect of what this coaching staff will look like. Now, according to Greg Bedard, players on the Patriots are starting to formulate their own opinions. Here's what Greg Bedard had to say recently on NBC Sports Boston about the Patriots. Bedard, you're hearing some things about how uh, folks down in Foxborough feel about the muddy coaching waters. What are you hearing? I don't want to make a huge deal out of this yet because let's keep in mind, this is a completely new regime on the offensive side of the ball. They could be doing things a different way, and there could be a lot of people who aren't used to the new way things are going to be done, and maybe they might be better. I'm allowing for that. But so far, I mean, I have countless people who have either been with the Patriots or are hearing from players on the team who they are alarmed to this point, and they've barely done anything so far, Trenny. And so... They, they are really worried about the direction of the offense, where this is going, especially off of what a lot of people heard. A lot of people around the NFL listened to what Joe Judge said the other day, and almost all of them were like, what? What is he talking about? And so there is a high level of concern about what's going on with the Patriots. All right, that was Greg Bedard in NBC Sports Boston. Listen, I'm not going at Greg Bedard. I don't care. Okay, but I'm going to say this. Who is he talking about? Like, here's my question. What player on the Patriots is he talking about? You know? I mean, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Who are you talking about? What guy on the offensive side of the ball? Now, maybe a defensive guy is worried about the offense. I don't know who that would be. Okay? Because we ain't talking about this chalk, you know, team full of superstars 
You know, there ain't no Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving on the Patriots. And if there were, I still don't know if I would subscribe to that type of narrative or rhetoric because it ain't basketball. What Patriots player is is offering up rumblings and, and these, you know, undertones of being displeased with the coaching staff on the offensive side of the football and what they might be in for this year? I'm sorry. I think it was Herb Brooks and Miracle who said to uh, Rizzo, enough there to keep you busy. I mean, you've got enough to worry about with your own game. So I don't know who, especially on offense for the Patriots, what's Mac Jones chirping? You know, Mac Jones looked good in his rookie year. We have no idea what he's going to turn into. I like Mac Jones a lot, and I believe in him. But what's he chirping about the Patriots coaching staff? We don't even know what you are. We don't even know if you're going to become a star in this league. Who's talking? Who is it? Is it the new center they just drafted? Is he worried about what the coaching staff's going to look like? Is he voicing those concerns? Is it the wide receivers? <laughs> Maybe it's John New Smith who doesn't like what the Patriots coaching staff looks like offensively. That's actually a good one. Yeah, maybe he can he can have an opinion on that. You know, you whoever it is, you shut you shut your mouth and you get into the film room and force the Buffalo Bills to punt once or maybe make a catch on 3rd and 7 for me. Janu or who I don't even have to throw Janu on it. I have no idea. Now if somebody around the league like a scout for the Cardinals wants to say, "Yeah, I don't know what they're doing." Fine, but that means nothing. The headline of what Bedard says is that it's coming from the Patriots and players within the team, you know, on the team. That's the headline there. That's what's noteworthy. And I have no idea what player in the situation the Patriots are in currently would be saying that. This isn't the NBA. You know, this is a Bill Belichick-run team. Nobody on that roster outside of, you know, if Tom Brady was still here, would have the clout to say something like that. Nobody. There's nobody that... Devin McCourty? Uh-uh. Again, enough there to keep you busy. There's nobody else that... There's nobody on the roster that has earned the right to make those comments. I'm sorry. You're not good enough. Or you're not good enough anymore. What's it, Matt Judon? Judon, he he disappeared at the end of last year. And again, I don't want to just start throwing names out there. I don't know. This could be a false report. I have no idea. I'm just saying if it isn't, it's ridiculous. Because there's nobody on the Patriots that should be worried about what the coaching staff is or isn't offensively. I think Bill Belichick's a little bit more proven than you are. So you got to worry about what the hell you're doing based on how things ended last year player. That's what I'd have to say to that guy. They're crying out loud, worried about the coaching staff on the offensive side of the ball. Go into the film room and figure something out. When we get back, I have no idea what we're going to do. How's that for a tease? This is WEI Late Night. Alright, back here on WEI Late Night. Golden State just downed Dallas in game two out in the Western Conference Finals. Golden State was down 19 points in this game at one point. Found a way to fight back. Luka, 
not enough, and now Golden State looks as good as they've ever looked. Oh, I'm already fantasizing about a finals against this Golden State. That Listen, I'm going to say this. I'm going to stay in the moment here. Jimmy Butler, again, I know it sounds like I'm hating on Jimmy Butler, and I don't want to because I do love the player. I like his game. I like the mentality and all the things he represents. I do. And I'll admittedly say, you know, I've, I've been a beat reporter for the, the Patriots. So I've watched a lot of football games. I've been to a lot of football games. I've covered football teams. I've never been a beat reporter for a basketball team. So I guess I'm not quite as schooled in basketball. But I will say this. Jimmy Butler reminds me a little bit of Lamar Jackson. And not in a good way. I feel like Jimmy Butler, and this is why, in a way, I like the Celtics even more in this series. Jimmy Butler, to me, feels a little bit limited. And what I mean is, when I think he's a great player in the playoffs, he comes up huge. But could he do... Like, I don't know if he could do. I don't know. I'm not saying he can't. I just don't know if he could do what Jason Tatum did against the Bucks in game six of that series. I don't know if Jimmy Butler could do that. Jimmy Butler is like a snake that, you know, slithers around your neck and squeezes the life out of you. He goes to the line a hundred times. He gets, you know, he's creative in the lane. He gets fouled. I, he can do all those things. Thanks, man. I just don't know if he could do what Jason Tatum did in game six of the Eastern Conference semis, where you have to go toe-to-toe scoring every trip down the floor against Giannis and hit threes to keep your team in it and hit, and get twos and three. You know, be dynamic, score in a multitude of ways from a bunch of different places on the court. It feels like if Jimmy Butler doesn't have it going in a specific way or style, it's hard for him, like Lamar Jackson. Again, both are great players. But, you know, with Lamar Jackson, we obviously know. A lot of what he does is predicated off his ability to run, and when, you know, he's at his best, the Ravens are on schedule. And he's not as good when the Ravens are behind or off schedule. I feel like Jimmy Butler's game, get to the line, do this. You know, if you're down, if you're down in the fourth quarter and you're way off schedule and you can't really hit threes, now he can facilitate and get other guys open for three. It's just fine. But it's nice when your superstar is able to take the game over. And I don't know if he could take the game over in certain ways. I just don't know if he can do it in as many ways as some of the big-time major superstars in the league. That's what I'm asking. And I think ultimately that could come back and bite a team like the Heat. You get down in the four. You know, I just think that might be, if you're not quite as dynamic, you can only rely on culture for so long. It just feels like the Celtics, they've got it going on. Okay? And it just, because like I've said a million times, the people that live in this city and the sports fans in this town, they know what a championship team looks like. They know what a championship team sounds like. They know what a championship team smells like. And it feels like the Celtics are starting to smell like one, doesn't it? You know, the overcoming immeasurable adversity. Obviously, they did that in games six and seven against Milwaukee. I'm sure they'll face more. They will face more. 
whether it's in this series, whether it's in the finals, they will face more adversity. They may go down 2-0. They may go down 3-1. They may go down 2-1. They're going to face some. They'll have somebody get hurt. They will face more adversity in these playoffs. But they've handled it. They've handled, handled it beautifully. That is a symptom of a championship team. Another one, not that this is a big deal, but we've seen it uh, you know, elsewhere in Boston sports. They have the little narrative, the little side narrative that adds to the chemistry of the team, the culture of the team. You know, their version of the idiots, their version of the beards, their version of, uh, you know, the shopping cart or whatever it is. And that is Deuce Tatum. You know, he's captured everybody's hearts. The adorable little son of Jason Tatum it has become, I don't know, I guess call him the Celtics mascot, but he's been a part of the team. He's been a part of this run. He's brought that team together in ways. The fans, the team, they've rallied around the cuteness of Deuce Tatum. Give him credit. It's like the beards for the Red Sox we saw years ago. You know, those types of things. It's like Mbutu, you know, those those rallying cries in a way. When a team is going good, they have those things going for them. Let's take uh, Kelly and Amherst real quick as we wrap up the show. And Kelly's gone. He gone. Whatever. That's like the third time that's happened to me tonight. It's okay. We only have about a minute and a half left of the show. A minute left of the show. But it's just, I mean, it just it's starting to feel that way. We'll see how the rest of this series against Miami goes. We got Kelly back. All right, get Kelly on real quick. Kelly, what's going on? Hey, what's up? Thanks for taking the got call. Got 30 what's seconds. What's going on? Yes, sir. Yeah, no, real quick. You were talking about how people can smell, people can taste. I swear to God, before this uh, uh, net series started, I said to my buddy, I said, dude, there's a funny odor in the air, man. I said, there's a smell around Boston. I'm telling you, baby. It smells like Banner 18. Dude, you are on to something, man. I love your show. Keep up the good work. Appreciate you, Kelly. Thanks for the call. He's right. Again, we'll see what happens. But it's starting to smell that way. We've seen it. We've seen it more than anybody else. And the Celtics look the part. They're acting the part. And I expect them to do so once again in Game 3, Saturday night at TD Garden. And they'll take a 2-1 series lead. Ethan, thanks, brother. We'll see you Sunday morning with KJ. This is Mark Dundero, WEI Late Night. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, O'Reilly Auto Parts
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.